Uh, we're going to go back to yesteryear, and uh, the lesson of uh, the title of our lesson is Father Knows Best, so what better way than to have Robert Young introduce us here a little bit. So sit back, five minutes. This session is called A Typical Father, and see if uh, some of you dads, if you can relate, and all of us have dads, let's see if we can relate to this. Robert Young. Jane White, with Eleanor Donahue, Billy Gray, and Lauren Chapin, in Father Knows Best. Margaret, do you know it's after 8.30? Is it? Why isn't Betty home? Oh, she's probably rehearsing late at school. Your turn, dear. Well, she ought to be home. When I was her age... Yes, Jim? Well, that's different. She's a girl. I'm uh, 50 points ahead of you. I'm always getting stuck with a Z. <laughs> Who's bringing her home? One of the girls, I suppose. I suppose it's one of the boys. I suppose it is. She's been out with boys before. Yes, but she's never been 17 before. What has 17 got to do with it? Everything. That's a dangerous age, Margaret. Whenever I read anything in the papers lately, it seems to concern someone who's 17. Jim, for a man who always brags that he's not a typical father, you... Now, Margaret, that's one thing you can't accuse me of. I think I've always maintained an open attitude toward the children. I've never tried to influence or shape their lives in any way. I was merely... Betty, is that you? I'm Bud, remember me? Hello, son. Hi, Ma. Didn't beat a scrabble again, Dad? I'm just not concentrating, that's all. Hungry? No. But I think I ought to eat anyway. Maybe I ought to drive over to the school and pick up Betty. Darling, what is the matter with you tonight? Nothing's the matter with me. I just ask a simple question. Why isn't my daughter home? I'm home, Daddy. Well, as one of my daughters is. Ready for bed, Kathy? Uh-huh. Well, I'll go up and turn down your bed. Hmm. Stuck with a Z again. Yeah, it looks like it. You could use it. Z-A-I-N. That's a word? Penny Davis's father said so. Are you sure? A dark-colored horse with spots. Well, thanks. That's okay. Here. Huh? Oh, what? Uh... Good night, honey. Night, Daddy. Don't forget to say your prayers. I'll say them twice. I forgot them last night. <laughs> oh, Bud, uh, you haven't seen Betty, have you? Betty who? Your sister. I saw her. She's outside on the porch. What's she doing outside? Saying goodnight to Armand. Armand? Who's Armand? The guy she's saying goodnight to. I'm able to figure that out for myself, but thank you very much. Armand's a leading man in the school play. Yeah. I wish he'd lead her in here. Oh, Jim. <laughs> Zane? What kind of word is that? Dark-colored horse with spots? How long does it take him to say goodnight? So I remember it used to take you quite a while. That's just what's worrying. Why are you so concerned about Betty? Margaret, evidently you don't read the newspapers. Look. 17-year-old girl elopes with fellow student. They turn up in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Isn't that terrible? What's wrong with Altoona? Oh, nothing's wrong with Altoona. There's something very wrong with youngsters running away to get married. I know a kid. His name's Claude Mesner. He's from Altoona. Do you know the porch light's off? 
I've been asking you for a month to put in a new bulb. <laughs> Fix that tomorrow. Was this kid that eloped any relation to Claude Mesner? Uh, no, his name was uh, Guzman. And her name was... What difference does it make what her name is? The point is, she's 17 and she's eloping. Jim, I'm reasonably certain that Betty's not planning on eloping tonight or any other night. We have a very sensible and dependable daughter and you know it. You're right, Margaret. I'm a little upset. Betty's far too intelligent to fall in love with some slick-haired lounge lizard. She's too level-headed. She's... said if my father had done this to you. Your father had the biggest and brightest porch light in town, and you know it. He could have used it for an airport beacon. I can't recall one airplane landing there. I'll never understand why. <laughs> Breakfast is ready. I'll be in a minute. Actually, uh, Jim, can you get the lights? That was just, I, I just was cracking up, and partially not cracking up as I was thinking about the future. Yeah. Ran Randy, that, that's, that's you, Randy. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> that's your now. <laughs> that is your present. Okay, a typical father. Father knows best. That introduces us to the uh, second spiritual skill on how to listen to a sermon. And it's there in your notes. Admit God knows better than us. Admit God knows better than us. And for us as believers, it simply comes down to the name of the show. And what is it? Father knows best. There's no better hearing aid when it comes to listening to a sermon than a humbled heart. A humbled heart. Not just a humble, but a humbled. A heart that has been humbled. There's no better hearing aid when listening to to a sermon. Now, those of you that have been reading through the Bible in 90 days, you've seen this principle in the book of Ezekiel. You saw it in the book of Jeremiah. I cannot believe how God is just arranging this where we're reading through the prophets. What I'm seeing is the Old Testament. It's a message of this. God's people are hard of hearing and heeding, and there are consequences to that. I, I just pulled out Ezekiel 12, 12, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear. 
for they are a rebellious people. And he says to them, you speak to them whether they listen to you or not. They have hard hearts, but son of man, I'm going to make you harder than their hard hearts. I'm going to, it says, I'm going to make your forehead hard, meaning you're going to, you're just going to speak into their hearts because this is an obstinate people. You know what Ezekiel's name means? The Lord strengthens. And so I hear an echo of Paul uh, advice to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. But that's a message to preachers. The message to us is don't be, don't be hard of hearing. Instead, Admit, God knows better than me when we listen to his word. In fact, in Ezekiel 28, 2, here's what he says to the king of Tyre. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am God. I sit on the throne of God. But you are a man and not God, though you think you are as wise as God is. Here's the problem that we've been reading through, those of you in the 90 day, is that whether it's a pagan king, like we're going to see in a moment, Nebuchadnezzar, or whether it's God's people, we think we're wiser than God. And so when we're listening to God's word being preached, we're saying, hey, I know better than than the Father. Now, let's look at uh, the consequence. What, what, I just want to give you two word pictures right at the beginning, because these are the things that came to my mind as I thought of this principle, admit that God knows better than me. I see that admitting that the Father knows best is the only sane response to a biblical sermon. The only sane response to a biblical sermon is to admit that the Father knows best. When we think we know better than God, we are spiritually out of our minds. We are spiritually crazy. We are spiritually insane. We are out of our minds and we're going to be hard of heeding. And so I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. There's no greater picture of of a man who said to God, "I'm I'm as smart as you. I'm as wise as you. I'm as great as you. I know better than you. And yet we see that he was spiritually out of his mind. Turn your Bibles to Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. And we look at King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we won't delve into this except to just kind of see the picture of what happens to someone who who thinks they know better than God when they hear the word of God preached. Now, God speaks to the pagan king of Babylon in a dream and it scares him. We see this in verses 4 and 5. None of the wise men of his kingdom could interpret the dream or understand what God had revealed. That's verses 6 and 7. But only Daniel, and it's very interesting because in verse 9 and 18, it says only Daniel could understand what God spoke, and there's one reason. 9 and 18, he had the Holy Spirit in him. He had the Holy Spirit as a divine hearing aid, and he had a humbled heart, and he was able to hear and understand what God spoke. And so Daniel explain, explains the dream as God's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar's proud heart because he refused to admit that God is greater than him and that God knew best. So let's look at verses 24 and 27 and see that. 24 through 27. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men, 
Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps they may be, there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. The point is this, don't have a hard heart. Don't be hard of heeding. Don't think you know better than God. Humble yourself and you may uh, have, you may, the, the, this judgment that's coming may be lessened on you. Now look at God's judgment in the dream was fulfilled just as Daniel had predicted. We see that in 28 through 33. Notice all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for my, for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning nebuchadnezzar he was driven from men ate grass like oxen his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws i mean this guy was spiritually physically emotionally in every way he was out of his mind he was like an animal of the field Now, notice what made the change. Verse 34, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to abase or humble or bring low. You know what he's saying? God knows better than I do. I was spiritually insane to say I knew better. And once I recognized it and I I, I softened my heart 
and I bowed my knee and I bowed my will, then I, then I became spiritually sane. And that's the second principle I want you to see on this. And I'm going to show you a, a second uh, picture of it. When we admit God knows better than us, we are spiritually in our right minds. We are spiritually in our right minds and we're ready to hoopakuo. You see, when we admit God knows better, then we're in a position to come under what God says and to obey it. And so I want to give you a New Testament picture. That was a pagan king who was out of his mind. Now let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and I want to show you a man who was demon-possessed. You know him as the man who was possessed with a legion, a legion of demons. And in Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, he's described in this way. When Jesus came out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs. This man lived among the dead. Why? Because he was spiritually dead. A man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him. He was out of control. Not even with chains because he had often been bound and with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him. Unbelievable demonic strength and bondage. The shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. This is a guy out of control. See, he's spirit. He doesn't acknowledge that God is greater. He's spiritually insane. And it manifests itself in his life. No one could tame him. Always, night and day, he, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And, of course, you know the story. Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, he, he calls out the demon, and it's a legion of demons. The man is just thoroughly demon-possessed. Jesus heals him. And so you come down to verse 15. And the village in which he lived, the villagers come and they see him and they came to Jesus. Because listen, you weren't going to, after this man, after this man was spiritually healed, after this man came to his spiritual senses, there was no place else you would find him than with Jesus. They came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion. And I love this, sitting and clothed. And in his right mind. Where do you find people who are spiritually sane? You find them living ordered lives, submitted, sitting at the feet of Jesus, ready to hoopakuo. He's just there. I'm just listening to you. Before he was spiritually insane. Now he's spiritually sane. And you see, listen, you may not be a pagan king. And you may not be demon possessed. I hope not. But I'll tell you this, you and I are spiritually crazy when we think we know better than God. And we are at our most sane when we say, Father knows best. My God knows better than I do in this situation, in all situations. When he speaks, he knows better than I do. So what do we learn from this pagan king and this demon-possessed man, we learn this. When it comes to listening to a sermon, the best hearing aid, the best hearing aid is a humbled heart. Man, I love that. We're talking about how to listen to a sermon. Well, you know what? We're spiritually deaf, so we need hearing aids. You know what the best hearing aid is? A humbled heart. Listen to some of the Proverbs. Uh, 
Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 29.3, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Listen to Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Listen to Proverbs 3.7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The best hearing aid when listening to a sermon is a humbled heart. But easier said than done. Do you agree? Easier said than done. And there's four types of people who struggle to admit that God knows best. And so I want you to listen to these and I want you to hoop a kuo. I want you to come under these descriptions and say, which one, is, which one describes me? You know, which one is me? And here's the first type of person who has a hard time admitting that God knows better, that Father knows best. Hard-hearted hearers. Now, I have the verse for you, Hebrews 4, 7. This could be written over this whole lesson this morning. Today, if you will hear His voice, if you will hear His voice. There's the first spiritual skill. What's the first spiritual skill? Expect God to speak to me. Today... As you expect God to speak to you, what is the second skill? What's it say in that verse? Read it from your notes. Do not harden your hearts. Now, hard-hearted hearers are hard of hearing and they're hard of heeding. In the words of the prophets and the Lord Jesus Christ, they have ears to hear, but they, say it with me, they do not hear. They do not hear. Why? Because even though they're under the preaching of God's word, they choose to harden their hearts and refuse to admit that God knows better than they do. Now, I did a quick survey of hard and heart, of hard hearts. Beginning in the Old Testament, you know where hard hearts first shows up in the entire Bible? It shows up in the book of Exodus, and it shows up 18 times. And guess what? All 18 times refers to one individual. And who is it? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Hardening his heart. He choosing to harden his heart in rebellion. God sovereignly judging him and hardening his heart. And it just goes back and forth. He rebels and God hardens. God hardens, he rebels. Okay, we can't, we can't delve into that. But I just want you to... That, that's a pretty powerful... Well, let me, let me sum it up this way. All 18 verses come down to this. Moses preaches God's word to Pharaoh. And what is Moses' big idea of his sermon every time? Yeah, let my people go. And if you, can't, if you don't know that, then you've got to join the Reguses here at Easter time and watch the Ten Commandments, okay? You'll catch that really quickly. I guess you could read God's word too, but man, Chuck Heston, you cannot beat him. Oh, I love that. We can't wait. We're going to watch that coming up here. Okay, let my people go. So that's the sermon. Now, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he responds, God knows best. I'll let him go. No, what does he do? He hardens his heart and he says, I know better than God. I will not. That's the whole story there in Exodus. Now, this, same, this was interesting. The same Hebrew word that's translated hard regarding hearts is the same Hebrew word that is translated stiffened when it re- applies to necks. So as you read through, I mean, you guys, 90 day, Randy's shaking his head. If you read through the prophets, what do you see? I mean, every other verse, hard hearts, stiffened necks, 
stiffened necks. And so a hardened heart also also has a hard neck. Listen, listen, to, the, listen to this verse, Nehemiah 9.16. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. Jeremiah 17.23. But they did not obey, nor incline their ear, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And so the idea is there's Pharaoh, a pagan with a hard heart, but the, the, the prophets say God's people have stiff necks. And what's that mean? Just simply this, I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bow. God says do this, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fall down. I'm not going to admit he knows better than me. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go my, my way. 2 Kings 17. Turn your Bible, 2 Kings 17. These verses, 13 through 15, you know, I can't take you through a whole study of hard hearts, but I can show you this summary. And so look at 2 Kings 17, 13 through 15. Here's a summary of the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Here's why they went in to captivity. And by the way, folks, do you realize a remnant returned? That was Judah, the southern kingdom. Do you realize to this day the northern kingdom has not come back from captivity? Well, here's why. 2 Kings 17, 13 through 15. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But look at what they did. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. And they followed idols and became idolaters and went after other nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Now, let me give you four out of that passage. There's a lot in that passage. Let me give you four characteristics of hard-hearted hearers that kind of summarizes that passage, summarizes the study of a hard heart in the Old Testament and New. Number one, hard hearts think they know better than God and His Word. Hard hearts think... It begins in your mind as the sermon is being preached. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's true. Well, when we say that, and it's Bible that's being preached, we're thinking, I know better than God. We're Nebuchadnezzar. We're the king of Tyre. We're spiritually insane. Number two, hard hearts think God does not see their rebellious thoughts and actions. Here's what Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah 5. I'm going to read this. Jeremiah 5. Because I want to reward United Day people to realize how relevant the Old Testament is. Jeremiah 5, 12 through 13. Listen to this. Here's what people, hard hearts, think God does not see. And when I say see, that means care. You know, in other words, he doesn't care. It's like he doesn't see how I'm thinking in my heart. Now, listen to Jeremiah 5, 12 
through 13. They have lied about the Lord and said, it is not he, neither will evil come upon us. They're saying, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Captivity? That ain't going to happen. These are false prophets. And the prophets become wind, for the word is not in them. Now, you've got to understand the word play of Hebrew. The word for wind is ruach. The word for spirit is ruach. It's the same word. And so when the prophet, a true prophet speaks, he speaks by the spirit of God and the ruach speaks through him. What, he, what, what God is saying is these false prophets that say God doesn't see, God doesn't care, you can live any old way you want, ignore God's word, they are just wind, meaning hot air, meaning no ruach in the sense of the Holy Spirit. This isn't God-breathed words. For the word is not in them. See, the word is not in them. Thus it shall be done to them. Ouch. Number three, hard hearts think there are no consequences to resisting God's spirit and rejecting God's word. That's why they're hard. If they, were, if they thought there was consequences, they wouldn't be hard. They would submit. But hard hearts say, say what you want. I, I, and I'm telling you, one of the most... The hardest things is to sit and counsel with people, teach people, preach people that will look you in the eye and say, I know that's what God says, but here's what I'm going to do. Hey, you know, sometimes you take that personal as a preacher, but as you grow and mature, it just breaks your heart because you know there is judgment coming. Number four, hard hearts are too proud to admit they are wrong and that God knows best. You see, it's a, it's a pride issue. It's a pride issue. Can God forgive a hard-hearted hearer? You know what? He can. But I'm telling you, the day to learn that is today. Turn to Psalm 95. Turn to Psalm 95. I use this psalm because it kind of sums up everything there is to know about Father knows best and how to deal with a hard heart. Psalm 95, let's look at verses 6 through 11. Verses 6 through 11. Do you realize that this psalm is repeated three times Three times by the author of Hebrews in the New Testament. So we're listening to something that God's saying to us today. Look at Psalm 95, verses 6 through 11. Oh, come, let us worship. And now look at this. And do what? Bow down. What's the next? Let us what? Kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is what? He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And here's the, 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 the verse. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, like the Israelites did in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me and they proved me, though they saw my work for 40 years, get this, I was grieved, and it says in the margin, disgusted with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. 
So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What's the day to be forgiven of a hard heart? Today. Today. And you know what a hard heart says to what I just said? Nah. I can, I can do it later. I know other people who need that more than I do. Be careful. Be careful. You might be a hard-hearted hearer. And if you remain a hard-hearted hearer, then you become another kind of listener to sermons, and that is itching ear pickers. Itching ear pickers. you got to love that. 2 Timothy 4, and pickers doesn't mean what you think, okay? So, so get your finger out of your neighbor's ear. Itching ear pickers and hoarders. 2 Timothy, turn your Bible, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. In order to, to here's, the, here's the tension, and I'm telling you, in ministry you see this. How do you have a hard heart and stay under the Word of God? How do you have a hard heart and keep coming to church? Because that's respectable, and after all, you wouldn't want anybody to know you had a hard heart. So how, how, how do you handle this? Well, look at 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come. Here's the out of season. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What's he saying? I know better than God, and I'm going to pick and choose what I believe. I'm not going to just say, here I am to do whatever you say. I'm going to pick and choose. Listen to the Net Bible. It says, instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. The uh, Holman... Christian Standard Bible says, according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. And then Peterson goes crazy with a paraphrase that catches the spirit but is anything but literal. You're going to find that there will be times when people have no stomach for solid teaching but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. I've been eating some junk food lately. I've been reading a book by a, by a young pastor. I think you know what I'm talking about. And it's junk food. It's cotton candy. You put it in. It might taste sweet for a moment, and then it, it's gone. But it satisfies those who have itching ears. Now listen, when we refuse that the Father knows best, our ears begin to itch, and we look for someone else to scratch it. So we pick and choose what we will listen to and what we will not listen to. I'll take that part. I'll take point one of Pastor Bruce's sermon, but I don't agree with point three. And I certainly don't like the application at the end. But I did like that story. That was entertaining. We begin to pick and choose who we'll listen to and who we will not listen. It's what we listen to and who we listen to. We become Mike and Frank on the History Channel show, The Pickers. Because what do they do? They're constantly driving around looking for what they want. And they'll pick through the junk and say, oh, I don't want that. Oh, I don't like that. But I do like that, and I'll take that. Oh, Mike and Frank, you see. 
There's a lot of spiritual Mikes and Franks. And you know what pickers become? Pickers become hoarders. Have you seen that show? That show's not so funny. That show's not so entertaining because what do pickers do? They pick in order to collect for collectors, who, which is another name for hoarders, okay? And so what does the Scripture say here? They will accumulate, multiply, heap up false teaching that satisfies their hard heart, that doesn't touch the hard heart. Don't touch that. I don't, I don't like him. I didn't like that message. Hey, folks, it ain't about personalities. It's about the preached word. And when it's the word preached, it can be Balaam's ass. And we need to do what? God knows better than me. God knows better than me. Now, now don't apply that Balaam thing to me right now. But um, now listen, we may not be professional pickers or extreme hoarders, but we do more picking and hoarding than we like to admit. Just ask God's spirit to show you how much of an itching ear picker and hoarder you are. But if you're going to ask God that, you better be ready to hoop a cool. I'm, 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 I'm challenging you. Go before God and say, Lord, am I a picker and a hoarder? Am I picking and choosing? Have you spoken to me in some areas that my hard heart is resisting? And I'm just not going to do it because I know better than you in this situation. Third kind of person that struggles to admit that God knows best is the abounding grace abuser. The abounding grace abuser. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 20 for the abounding grace abuser. Because you see, if you're an itching ear picker, you become to defend yourself in that. Because right now, right now, maybe even in your heart, right now, your neck might get, be stiffening. Our hearts might be hardening and we might be saying, I don't think I like this lesson this morning. I don't think, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know about that. Because after all, we're under grace. And, and I don't have to obey everything God says. I don't have to listen to every sermon that God says. Well, let's, let's look at Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the, fin, the offense may abound. But where sin abounded... Grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, abounding grace. I love it. Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says in the Greek emphatically, God forbid may it never be certainly not definitely no how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it you see i think a lot of christians are abounding grace abusers when a disconnect between what is being preached and how they live comes they fall back on say well, God, I, you know, don't be a legalist here. Don't, don't, God, God's not concerned about my obedience. He's just all about grace. And, and God's, God says, certainly not. May it never be. We do not sin that grace may abound. You see, a lot of us live as if disobedience is acceptable to God. 
And we think that's grace. When in fact, you know what grace is? God at work in me to do His will. You're going to fall back on grace. You're not going to do less obedience. You're going to become what? More obedient. You're not going to have less of a desire to do God's will. You're going to have more of a desire to do God's will. And then there's a fourth one. Distracted do-gooders. These are people, again, these are all kinds of people who have a hard time saying God knows better than I do. So look at Luke chapter 10. You know the story. It's, it's the story of two sisters. What are their names? Martha and Mary. And who is the distracted do-gooder? Martha. Okay, yeah, me. Okay, that, that, I love that. That's a tender heart. Now, notice what it says, Luke 10, 38. Now, it happened as they went, he entered a village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. Now, look at this next phrase. Who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Who's the hoopakuo person? Who's the distracted do-gooder? But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him. Now, here's what, do, here's what, listen, people who think they know better than God tell God what to do with other people. Let me say that again. People who know better than God tell God what to do about other people. Rather than saying, God, you know better than me, you tell me what I need to do. Because I have enough to do I don't need to be worrying about other people. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, now this is funny, how do you call him Lord and then tell him what to do? Well, we, we do that more than we realize. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered to her and said, and can't you just say, Martha, Martha. He said it in love. He said it with compassion, but here's what he said. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And what is Mary doing? She is spiritually sane. She is like the man who was delivered from a legion of demons. She is sitting clothed and in her right mind at the feet of Jesus to hear his words. And you know what she's saying by that physical position? She's saying, I have a tender heart and you know better than I do. And the one place I need to be is at the, uh, under the word of God, hearing because God knows better than I do. So that's all we have for today. But I think that's more than enough. So now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you put everything away, before... Before you move on to the, the next Martha item on your to-do to list, stop and ask yourself, which one of these kind of people can I most identify with? Which one do I tend to do? Do I tend to be a hard-hearted hearer that just resists even though I come? Am I an itching ear picker that, that just kind of, well, I like this guy, I like this, I like this. Am I a bounding grace abuser? Has God spoken to you? in the past and maybe even today by His Spirit about something that you just won't repent of, that you just won't forsake, something that He wants you to do positively in this church and for His kingdom and you're just resisting it?
or maybe you're just a distracted do-gooder that is inconsistent in coming to church. Because, you know, God, He knows a lot of things, but I've got a lot to do. I got a lot to do on Sunday mornings. I got a lot to do on Wednesday nights. I got a lot to do during iLife groups. I, I kind of know better how to structure my time than to waste it like Mary sitting at his feet, hearing his word. I think we can get distracted with a lot of good things, don't you? We can get distracted. And you know what Jesus said? He says to you, Martha, Martha, Chris, Chris. You know, Chris, you can, you can make a lot of messages, but if you don't take time in your own life to sit at my feet, well, then you're saying that you know better than I do. You can get messages without my help. I don't want to be that kind of preacher. I don't think you want to be that kind of follower. Amen? Let's preach. Let's pray. Father, wow. I just love your word. In this series, Lord, you are teaching me And you are showing me, like my wife, wonderful things from your word. And Lord, I think you're speaking to people. And I think you're changing hearts. And Lord, it was a great TV show, but it's a far better way to live our lives. Father, you know best. You know best. And so we come with humbled hearts this morning. And we pray that your spirit will search us. And we won't excuse our sin because of your grace rather we'll claim your grace to turn from our sin and lord we will come with an attitude that says you know better about this conflict i'm in you know better about this difficult person i have to love and and you know better about the situation that i wish would change and i'm just going to come and i'm going to sit at your feet and i'm going to be spiritually sane say, you know better than I do. Speak, Lord, for your servant.